Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Joan Emrich, and I serve as a deacon in our congregation. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we prepare for worship, let us bow our heads in prayer. O oh God, glorious and faithful, to those who seek you with a sincere heart, you reveal the beauty of your face. Strengthen us in faith to embrace the mystery of the cross and open our hearts to its transfiguring power, that clinging in love to your will for us, we will walk the path of discipleship as followers of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Now, as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen for his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
you please stand for the call to worship? Hear the words of the prophet, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old, with the Lord be pleased, with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? No, he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Let us worship God. and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Brothers and sisters, let us pray the prayer of confession together, confessing our sin. God of compassion, in Jesus Christ, you reveal the light of your glory, but we turn away, distracted by our own plans. We confess that we speak when we should listen and act when we should wait. Forgive our aimless enthusiasms. 
Grant us wisdom to live in your light and to follow in the way of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. I declare to you in the name of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. As Christians around the world, let us state what we believe as written in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So if you happen to be seated in, seated, seated in this area, say hi to our confirmands who are here, and otherwise, say hi to one another. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Church of the Palms. We're thankful that you're with us this morning on this beautiful day. The Lord has 
blessed us with a beautiful morning and we're grateful to be able to respond to God's good grace in our life by worshiping him and wondering about what God's plan is for our own mission in life. So we hope that you will be guided along that way as you spend time with us this morning. We encourage you to fill out the friendship pads which are in the pews, pass those along to your neighbor and note those folks who are sitting near you. We have a lot of things to mention this morning, lots of great things that are happening. Our family picnic potluck is at 11.15 over in the campus center. So if you have uh, children and would like to join in that experience and to learn a little bit about what Lent is uh, holding for us in the future, we encourage you to come and be a part of that at 11.15 this morning. Also at 11.15, Kent Tridel, a guest organist from New York City, will be here playing as well as playing a concert at 3 p.m. this afternoon here in the sanctuary. You'll want to get tickets for that outside and underneath the tree. It's going to be a great event, and we hope that you will join us for that 3 o'clock this afternoon. Ash Wednesday is upon us, this Ash Wednesday uh, coming up this week, and we invite you to join us here in the sanctuary at 6.30 p.m. as we begin our Lenten journey together. On Saturday at 7 o'clock, Divas and Desserts, and that is uh, a little chance to support our Sarasota Young Voices, and we would love to have you come and be a part of that. Tickets are available underneath the tree, $20 in advance and $25 at the door, so come and be a part of that great experience. And then next Sunday is our Crop Walk, and also in the evening at uh, 6.30, we will be having our uh, new Bach series. Uh, we Bach and Reflection. We'll be hearing some wonderful uh, music by Johann Sebastian Bach, pr provided by our very own and some professionals. And also there'll be uh, some reflections given by myself. So we hope you'll come and join us for that Lenten journey beginning next Sunday. A Connect Magazine is available for you as you make your way out the door to learn about everything that that is happening in this upcoming month at Church of the Palms. And one last thing, uh, we are very, 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 very close to beginning construction on the Palm Center. <laughs> Famous last words. But uh, we haven't gotten our permits all yet, but uh, we are we're getting very, very close. So we just need a few more prayers to kind of get us over the hump. And uh, we will look forward to announcing to you when uh, the bulldozers will be arriving. So we're grateful for the anticipation of that great event. Today is Commitment Sunday. Many of you already know that. You have received pledge cards in the mail, and if you haven't, there are pledge cards available for you in your pew. Bob Barson, an elder in our session, and also the chair of our generosity team would like to share with you a few words. Thank you, Steve. Good morning. Last week, Pastor Steve uh, talked a little bit, expanded a little bit on the story of Luke, of Jesus and the, and the Pharisees. This week, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about the prodigal son, or as Paul Harvey was, used to say, the rest of the story. When we left the, uh, them last, they were on their way to a party. The next day was the Sabbath, so the father and the two sons went to the temple. When they got to the temple, the father and the older son put their tithe into the temple treasury. After they were done at church, or at the temple, they, they were on their way home, and the younger son said, well, what was that about that money that you left up there in the treasury? And the older son blurted out, well, Leviticus tells us to do that. And the, younger, and the father interrupted us. Now, son, son, remember before the law, Abraham, our father, went and saved Lot, his nephew, from the kidnappers, got some plunder, 
And when he met Melchizedek, the high priest of Salem, he gave him a tenth of that plunder. So our giving comes before the law. So what are we to give? <clears throat> the prophet Micah said, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The father continued, I heard there's a young rabbi who says that the law and the prophets hang on just two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And like the first, the greatest commandment. And like, this, and like it, the second is love your neighbor as yourself. Son, if you follow these commandments, you will know what is required of you. Now, who do you relate to in this story? Are you like the father who have faithfully pledged and given each year? And we thank you very much for your support if you're like that. Or are you like the younger son, maybe not so familiar with going to church and this pledging thing, and you're not really comfortable with that? And we understand that too, and that's okay as well. Or are you a first-time visitor and you're saying, what are we doing here on Commitment Sunday? <laughs> in any case, we'd like you all to find a way to participate this Sunday in Commitment Sunday. In the uh, cards that you got in the mail or in your pew rack, on one side are ways that you can love God and love your neighbor more. And we'd ask you to prayerfully consider those and check those steps off that you want to commit to this year. If you feel comfortable with pledging, on the other side of the card, you can fill out your pledge and turn that in when we call you forward. We'd like everybody to come forward and commit something this Sunday uh, at the time is, is, is right. So we want to thank you very much for your support for this church and for the kingdom. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Let us go to God in prayer. Let us pray. Eternal God, to bow our heads this morning is to pause before your presence. Sometimes we want to think that you are up there somewhere or that you are out there somewhere or that you will be at the end of it all somewhere. But this morning to bow our heads is to acknowledge that you are now, that you are here, that you are here now. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, the great dance of the Trinity enveloping us with your presence. You take hold of our hand and you pull us into the great sacred dance of the Trinity. You yearn for your rhythm to be our rhythm. And we yearn for this too. For we have been co-opted by the rhythms of the world. These disjointed days and dialogues of our lives that keep us off kilter and wanting for balance and health and wholeness. We yearn for you to restore us to sanity, to give us our heads as well as our hearts, and to return us to the right measure of love and grace and mercy to be reminded of what you require to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with you, O God, to do justice, to ensure that not only do we have what we need, but that all would have what they need, 
to love kindness, to love God, because to love God is to grow kind, such that we would love our neighbor. And to walk humbly with you, O God, that in the midst of all the world's inflamed and toxic rhetoric, that we might exhibit to this weary world a silent witness to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves, open to the stranger, open to the victim, open even to the one with whom we most disagree. Help us to preach the gospel more in gesture and less in language. And like those disciples of long ago who got lost in the cloud and the voice and the vision, help us to get lost in your glory that we would make your life our life, your word our word, your grace our grace. Even today, O oh God, help us to put our money where our mouth is, to reveal to the world the sacrificial community that points to the life-giving community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For it is out of this presence that we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. Let us continue our worship through the presentation of our tithes and gifts and offerings. <coughs> Here in the death of Christ 
must I live? Father, how grateful we are for this opportunity to give. May these, our tithes and offerings, serve as symbols of our deep desire for your love to transform our time, our effort, and our substance into works of creative compassion for each other, for our community, and for the world beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, and now we invite Carol and Kevin to come forward for the children's moment.
Have a seat, everyone. Come on up. Good morning. <laughs> How are you all? Has anyone ever told you what to do? Maybe a parent or a teacher? Anyone? What have they told you? To listen to them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what they tell you? To do your work. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm told to do that too. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to tell you a story of Peter, James, and Jesus. So it's called the Transfiguration of Jesus. Now that's a, a pretty big word, but I'm going to explain a little bit about what it means for the Bible. So one day, all three of them go up to a mountain to pray. And as they reach the top of the mountain, Jesus starts to glow. It's a miraculous thing. And next to him, Elijah and Moses appear. Now, does anyone know that they've been dead for about 100 years? So it's pretty amazing that they're just appearing right next to him. Now, James is pretty calm, but Peter just freaks out. He's like, should I make a tent? Should I build a building for them? And he just has no idea what to do. So God booms down from above. And he says, Jesus is my son. Listen to Jesus alone. Now this is important because Peter has been listening to himself and others for a long time, but has not been focusing on what Jesus wants him to do. Now, I'm going to get the uh, congregation involved for a little experiment. So, if when I tell you to, all of you could say one thing that you want these kids to do when they grow up or brush your teeth, become a lawyer, <laughs> anything. Just tell them all at once when I say on three. One, two, three. Stay in school. <laughs> Did you guys get all of that? I mean, I got about a hundred of them, so yeah. But this is important because we can't listen to everyone in the congregation. What we can do is we can listen to what Jesus wants us to do. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for reminding Peter to listen to your son Jesus. Help us to listen to Jesus as well. Life can get pretty confusing trying to listen to everybody's advice. Through your Holy Spirit, help us to hear and know your son Jesus more and more each day. Amen.
You may be seated. So along with Jesus' voice, you're supposed to listen to mine too, just so you know. <laughs> As I instruct you, after uh, the sermon this morning, we will be presenting our commitments before the Lord, and we will be inviting you to come forward to do so. There are four baskets here in the front of the sanctuary to which we invite you to come and offer your commitment cards. Again, uh, some of them are available in the, the uh, pew racks you can, if you've not brought one yourself. Uh, there are baskets also up in the balcony and a couple in the narthex, so if you're more comfortable staying up there and offering your commitments or going to the back, if you're in the back of the sanctuary, please do so. If you do come forward, we invite you to come forward and then drop your commitment in the basket and then go around to the other side of the section and return into the pew that way. That way we don't have a big traffic jam in the middle of the aisle. We, are, we'll, we will be doing that while the choir will be singing an anthem. So as the choir begins to sing, we invite you to come forward. And then about halfway through the anthem, Genevieve will give us all direction to stand and we will uh, sing along with the choir the conclusion of that anthem, the words of which are printed in your bulletin. Our scripture lesson is the telling of the transfiguration story done so well by Kevin. And we include a few more words in the account beginning at the 28th verse of Luke chapter nine. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him, and they appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. And then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen, listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent in those days and told no one any of the things they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him, and just then a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. He's my only child. And suddenly a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks, and it convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus said, you faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. And while everyone was amazed at all he was doing, he said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into human hands. But they did not understand this saying. Its meaning was concealed from them so that they could not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. 
Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. (coughs) Pardon me. The history of scientific and mathematical research is populated by the names of hundreds and thousands of brilliant people, not the least of which was a 17th century physicist and mathematician named Blaise Pascal. We have Blaise Pascal to thank for the early invention of the calculator, time-tested theories around the fluctuations of barometric pressures, and some of the foundational theorems behind the principles of probability. And if you think I understand anything of what I just said, you would be misled. (laughs) Toward the end of his short life, he died at the age of 39, Pascal turned his brilliant mind toward the considerations of philosophy and religion. His writings on these subjects are considered classics even today. Included in these is the philosophical argument known as Pascal's Wager, which posits that all human beings bet their lives on whether God exists or whether he doesn't. Pascal posed that the rational bet in this regard is to believe in and live as if God existed. If God exists, the payoff is infinite, If God doesn't exist, well, what did it matter anyway? All in all, Pascal is a compelling figure in the history of intellectual development. After Pascal died, his housekeeper, while collecting all of his clothing, noticed that there was a stitching inside his coat, as if someone had had sewed something inside the lining. So the housekeeper undid the stitching and found a piece of paper. And on the paper was Pascal's writing, and it began with these words describing evidently a spiritual experience. The year of grace, 1654, Pascal begins. Monday, 23rd November, Feast of St. Clement, From about half past 10 at night until about half past midnight, fire. Pascal continues, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned, certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, Peace. Now, it is not left to us to try to understand or explain what happened to Pascal that night of November 23rd, 1654. His only word to describe it is fire. Suffice it to say that it was an encounter with the living God that likely not only altered the course of his life, but was so seminal that his account of it, he sewed into his coat as if sewing it into his soul for no one else to know or to see other than him. From about half past 10 at night until about half past midnight, 
fire. The note inside your coat. The history of humankind, among many things, is a history of our encounter with the transcendent. In Judeo-Christian terms, we call this theophany, which is in the Greek means the appearance of God. Theophany is the moment, that deeply personal, private, and spiritual moment when a person encounters in some mystical way the reality of God. It is a moment that can barely be described and is seldom understood by anybody else. It can happen standing on the beach watching the sunset. It can happen staring into the dark night of, an infinite sky, of infinite stars or watching your babies take its first breath or sitting in a sanctuary listening to sacred music or waiting for the news of a loved one's surgery. For the disciples, it happened locked up in a room and the sound as of a rush of a mighty wind descended upon them with tongues as of fire. It is this unexpected moment when God appears and we are convinced of God's presence, of God's existence. Usually, it does not happen in some supernatural pyrotechnic moment that Hollywood could catch on film. More often, it happens to the likes of you and me in those quiet and gentle ways. For me, when one of my theophanies came at the age of 10, listening to my grandfather pray the Christmas prayer on Christmas Eve during the Christmas Eve service. Don't ask me to explain it. Just take my word that in that old man's prayer, God was as real for me in that moment as the marble of this pulpit. If we had the time, we could take the next several minutes and have each of us search our own personal histories for those moments when God became suddenly real for us. Instead, we'll have to leave that to you for homework. But the truth is, not only have we likely had those moments, but like Pascal, we have, in a sense, sewn them into our coats, woven them into our souls. We are who we are in part because of the encounter we've had with God. Victor Frankl, Holocaust survivor and author of Man's Search for Meaning, recounted that just prior to his detainment and transfer to Auschwitz, he took the magnum opus of his life, his doctoral dissertation, and sewed it into the lining of his coat. His last and best chance, he thought, of holding on to his life's work. And as soon as he arrived at the camp, they, of course, took his coat and with it his life. Shortly afterward, he was given the coat of another prisoner who had been taken to the chambers. He put it on and reached into the pocket and found a little scrap of paper, and on it were the words of the Shema Yisrael, the most sacred of Jewish prayers. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Frankl said, at that moment, and that little piece of paper, God became real. And the moment remained stitched, if not inside his coat, inside his soul. Each of us has a theophany stitched, I believe, inside our souls. 
So Luke does his best, along with Matthew and Mark, to describe for us the encounter that Peter, James, and John have with Jesus on top of the mountain. The truth is, it is an experience that I'm not sure any of us is really supposed to understand. The changing face of Jesus, dazzling white clothing, apparitions of prophets past, clouds descending, voices speaking. It's all just a little bit too much, maybe a lot too much for us to understand. And at the end of it all, we can maybe understand why Luke reports that Peter Peter, James, and John, after having this experience, kept silent and told no one any of the things they had seen. Because who would dare venture such a story? Who could ever understand someone else's experience of theophany? It reminds me of Lucy in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when quite by accident she makes her way through the back of the wardrobe and all of a sudden finds herself in this strange land that she'll soon learn is Narnia and it's a, it's a very real land full of fawns and witches and the great lion Aslan and it's a very real land to Lucy except that when she comes back and tries to tell her brothers and sister they think she's kind of gone crazy. What silly talk of Narnia. No one is really supposed to understand this deeply personal experience we have with the transcendent. Remember the shepherds of Bethlehem? You ever wonder what happened when they eventually went home and tried to explain to their family and friends what had just happened? Angels appearing and singing, a babe lying in a manger, peace on earth, goodwill toward all, the promise of the Messiah. Can you imagine what their wives said? Time to take away the flask. <laughs> but these are the encounters stitched inside, not, not inside our coats, inside our souls. And they're real. They're so very real. And with these experiences come power. There's, there's nothing more powerful than the divine reality that abides within. There are many things I wonder about in this world, but what I don't wonder about is about how God has appeared in my life and reminded me that I'm not alone, that I'm dearly loved, and that life is full of meaning. If I have any power in my life, if I have done any good in my life, if there are any purposes to my days ahead, it all traces back to the note inside my coat. It makes me think of a young woman in one of my former churches. I'll call her name Julie. Julie had a pretty horrific childhood centered around many years of sexual abuse at the hands of a family member. And Julie remembered during those years as a young girl praying that God would stop these awful attacks on her body and spirit. But God never did, never stepped in like a child would think a loving God would. So it was an easy leap for her to believe that there was no such thing as a loving God, no Pascal's wager for her. And then one morning as a middle-aged woman, she stopped at the local convenience store to get the Sunday paper, and down the street she heard the peal of a church bell, a simple church bell in the steeple of the church where I happened to be serving as the pastor. And for some reason, she knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that that church bell was for her, that the bell was tolling for her. She didn't know why, she just knew. And she said to herself, the Sunday paper will wait, I will go to this place 
and it happened to be the Sunday when the good people of that church were gathered to weep and to console themselves and each other in the wake of an awful tragedy that had occurred within our church family. A young man had killed his parents. And she sat there in her pew and watched this church family trying the best they could to love each other in the midst of our grief. And she heard the message loud and clear for the first time that God doesn't make these awful things happen and God doesn't prevent them from happening, but that God simply loves us often through each other. That's what she heard. That was her theophany. And Julie from that moment jumped into the life of that family of faith using every gift she she had to share the love that she had received from God in that moment. That church bell was for her and became the note inside her coat. The power of God's love for her became the power of God's love through her for God's people. Do you hear what I'm saying? It is these moments in our life when we are reminded of the unmistakable and powerful presence of God. These are notes that are in turn stitched into our souls that there is a power then within those moments that is intended for God's people. It may explain why the gospel writers are insistent to include in their story of the disciples' powerful mountaintop moment, one that they are quickly stitching into their souls, that the first thing they encounter when they come down the mountain is a man and son desperate for power, a father who is at the end of his rope and his son who is possessed with some evil spirit, and no one knows what to do. And Jesus is so disappointed that no one seems to think that they have the power that this power of God's love with which they have been entrusted is a power intended for these poor people. You see, that's the thing. These intimate private encounters we have with the transcendent are intended for a public use. These personal notes of divine encounters stitched into our souls are the very power that God uses to propel us into the hurts of the world because you see, it is these theophanies that remind us that it is not a dog-eat-dog world, that it's not every man out for himself, that it's not she who dies or the most toys wins. It's not the bottom line of some financial spreadsheet that's the goal line. It isn't how much you have having your 401k that determines the gold medal. It is these encounters with God that tell us that we don't have to hedge our bet. It is as real as the sun pouring through those stained glass windows that God is love and that God loves me. Oh, but that God also loves through me his world. That's why I think it is safe to say that the most real thing you do in your life is something for someone else. It is the most real thing in your life, what God has done for you, and it's the most real thing you will do in your life with what you take God's love and give it to someone else. The most genuine gesture of your life is the sacrifice for someone else. The most real use of your time is the time you give to someone else. The most real number you write down in your checkbook is not the number of your mortgage payment. It is not the number of your IRA contribution. It is not the number of your installment of your long-term care insurance. The most real number is the number that is written down for the sake of God's love for his people. Maybe that's what good old Charles Dickens had in mind when he wrote his little tale 
of Ebenezer Scrooge, the old miserly man counting every last penny of his sorry life. And then comes theophany, or at least the visit of the spirits. And these visits are more real to him than the gold in his safe. And the first of the visits is from the ghost of Jacob Marley. Marley is his business partner who is just as miserly as he. And Scrooge can't understand why Marley the ghost is bound in chains. And Marley speaks of having missed the great opportunities of life. And Scrooge says, but, but you were always a good man of business, Jacob. And Marley cries, business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence, these were my business. The dealings of my trade were a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Somewhere along the way, right, each of us has been visited. The bell has tolled, the spirit has appeared, the fire has descended, the presence has been felt. And the note is written and stitched inside, it is the most real thing that has ever happened. And the most real thing yet to happen is what we do with it, how we place our bet, what we make our business. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you have appeared. You have come into our lives in oh so many different ways in such a way that you have convinced us that you are real. You are the most real reality in all the world. And we thank you that you give us moments such as these when we have the chance to respond in a real way to your people that the love that you've had for us is the love that you would have for your world. So bless us as we come forward to make these our commitments to you and your mission to love the world. For we pray it in Christ's name, amen.
Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are the God who meets us in our hearts. You are the God who appears to us in a very real and gracious and loving way. You are the God who gives us power to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or think. So Lord, we pray that as you have filled us with your Holy Spirit, and as you have inspired us to bring these gifts before you, that you would so now surround us with your presence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Take us into the world to give not only our money, but to give our lives, that the world may see through who we are and what we do and what we say, that there is a God who loves us. There is a God who loves the world. There is a God who yearns for the world to be reconciled to him. So bless us, O Lord, that we may be a blessing for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.